Hello, this is the Sleep Mums A to Z's, where we take a journey deep into the parenthood and sometimes end up on the wrong side of the tracks. It's real, raw and gritty, like a really good BBC drama with a side of Netflix lols. I'm Kat Cubie, broadcaster, journalist and wannabe rebel, and this is Sarah Carpenter, baby and child expert and sleep saviour. Together, we are the Sleep Mums. When we started The Sleep Mums, we called ourselves The Sleep Mums because that's what we are. It doesn't and never meant that it wasn't a place for all parents and caregivers. Dads, pops, grandmas, mamas, aunties, mammies, uncles, you name it. Basically, anyone who needs more sleep. However, motherhood, or being a mum, is also pretty central to what we do. Largely because mums do still tend to do the main caregiving and whilst we want to put all parents on an equal pegging when it comes to sleep because it is a team effort that doesn't discount the fact that mums often arrive at parenthood after a really long roller coaster ride of physical mental and hormonal changes so today is m for motherhood and we are beyond delighted and a wee bit fangirly to be honest <laughs> to be joined by anna mother Anna is a psychotherapist, renowned author and speaker. She is an absolute boss on social media with a huge audience, let alone the most important one, her three kids at home. So hello, welcome to the Sleep Mums, Anna. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you. I've got the whole, I've got a bit of a hoarse voice today. I don't normally sound quite this sexy. <laughs> well, I, we like it. We can make a totally different podcast if you like. Wow. <laughs> Well, so Anna, you have an amazing ability to get to the heart of how we're all feeling. Like, why do your clothes always get stuck in the door when you're mad? Gosh. <laughs> you write and speak so beautifully <laughs> about the experience of motherhood in all its rainbow colours. And that's just the vomit. <laughs> just in case any of our listeners don't know about you, tell us how you got here and why you're so passionate about people, but especially women, I think, to learn about themselves and have an inner belief that we can all really struggle to find. Mm. How I get how I got here is a really interesting story. Actually, it was mostly by complete accident. I downloaded Instagram when I was moving house, so I was moving into a new build, and it used to be called um, New Build. Very catchy interiors <laughs> scrapbook. And um, I downloaded it purely. That was your handle. That was my handle. That was my handle, um, and it was purely just a place to put the screenshots of lamps that I was. Sending my friends who I think got slightly bored of it. Born. Yes, they were. Yeah, it was like, it was, it was just to get inspiration for the house. And I remember doing an Instagram live when I moved in just to show the small following I had around this kind of empty white box. And um, they said, Anna, what, what, what's your actual job? Because, you know, we know you've got a, a white you know, boring house that you want to paint, but but what what do you actually do? And I said, oh, I'm a psychotherapist. And then they started asking me questions, and I just started answering them. And then, you know, as I'd once I'd bought the lamps, I started talking a bit more about mental health, and I think that it just kind of grew from there, really. And my passion and my heart is just to impart some of these techniques and these tips and these tools, some of them that I learned in the lecture halls and some that I've just actually kind of gathered along the way in motherhood, which is just, it's just been such a life changing experience for me, motherhood. And each child has mm -hmm. brought 
an utterly different kind of stretching of my capacity. And I had postnatal anxiety and depression after having my second, which as a therapist, I had kind of assumed that I would, you know, be immune to. (laughs) Yeah, I can relate to that. I think I was so used to supporting people through depression. And even though I'd experienced myself, I think having been newly qualified, I felt like I was armed. Um, So it was a real challenge of identity. And I think it was just really humbling for me to realise that, you know, even heart surgeons aren't immune to having their own problems with their hearts, but we can't always do surgery on ourselves, can we? And and I just, yeah, I just learned so much and I changed so much. And I think the therapeutic tools I have and the story that I have, I just, I just want to bring them both to fellow mums in the hopes that they can realise that whilst things like mum guilt and low self-worth and like anxiety and oh, I'm lying awake, even though my baby's sleeping and I'm worried, I just have to keep checking on my baby. And, you know, all of these things we just kind of write off as normal. You know, it's just common. So therefore, it's just part of motherhood. And I think I just, my message is that it might be common, but it does not need to be your normal. And yeah, that's really the heart that I share stuff from. And I think it's such a beautiful heart to to do so. And also, you know, we have a bit of a tendency, I think, to wear some of those scars with a bit of pride. Like, you know, it's kind of culturally that <laughs> the, the, the harder it is, the better it is or something. But, you know, I, and I think it's so important to try and step away from that. I think you are obviously giving giving people tools to be able to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, yeah, we just, so many of these things, you know, our struggles and our anxieties, we just kind of eye roll it ourselves or we make jokes about and, you know, we find that common ground. But actually, you know, sometimes we do want to get to that point where we want to know that there's more for us. Like we want to know that actually I don't want to live my motherhood to the background buzz of anxiety because it stops me from enjoying the moment or it stops, you know, I, I think I started realising that there were two different ways that I cuddled my children. Like one of them was like squeezing them, thinking, oh, my gosh, I love you so much. And the other way, sometimes I found myself thinking, I love you and I'm so terrified. I'm so terrified that something's going to happen, something bad's going to happen. And actually, there are things that we can do so that we're not living from that place of fear where we're always just like trying to brace ourselves for the next thing and actually we're almost I remember you know there are times when I look at my kids and I think man I just wish I didn't love you because it feels too risky you know what I mean oh you just want to protect yourself and I think I started to realize that actually anxiety and fear whilst it kind of in many ways, it lies to us. It makes us think that it prepares us for the worst. So should that thing that we've been imagining every element of that worst case scenario actually happen, we'll be there thinking, right, well, yeah, I knew this was going to happen. So therefore, it's not as scary, or it's not as emotional, or it doesn't hurt. And actually, I'm strong because I've already been going through it a 1000 times in my head when actually, you know, anxiety does not serve us, it just takes us away from all we have which is now this is it this is what we have and I want to live as much as I can in the now that exists because it's the only thing really that exists totally 
I think that that toxic relationship with anxiety is that somehow you think, as you said, somehow you think you're bulletproofing mm. yourself because if you've had the thoughts, that means that you've sort of, you know, you've thought of the, you've planned through them, but actually when they are so pervasive in your mind, it is complete, can be completely destroying of, of any joy. Too. Yeah, definitely. It definitely robs, you know, we say like comparison is the thief of joy, but actually anxiety is as well. Yeah. And, you know, if we can address these things, then what do we get at the end of it? Like, ultimately, we get more joy. And isn't that, like, who wouldn't want more of that? Totally. So we're going for joy, but I don't want to be all gloomy and start with the shit bits. <laughs> but in some way, I do think it's important to begin there. Although maybe as a therapist, you're going to say that's a very bad idea and we should work up to it. But I'd like to know what you think the hardest thing about motherhood is. For me... Oh, there are a few different things. I think it's the vulnerability. I think it is that that love and vulnerability kind of come hand in hand. And I think if you think of a double-sided coin and like on one side you've got love and then on the other side you've got vulnerability and it's it's almost like the more you love, the more you're invested, which I kind of can't help it. But then with that comes the vulnerability, like the more vulnerable your heart is. You know, sometimes I feel like motherhood can feel like my heart's just on a butcher's block. It's just exposed because there's so much out of my control. And and I think a lot of what I do for myself and what I encourage in other people, because everything that I'm encouraging other people to do is stuff that I'm constantly also having to remind myself to do, is to focus on... But that's what makes it so real yeah. and so honest and so important. Because yeah. And I think... It's Absolutely. And, and as a therapist, being exposed to so many people's behind the scenes, you know, I can speak with real confidence about some of the messiest times and some of the darkest thoughts. And I can, I, I can speak with confidence because I know with certainty that I am not alone. I know that I'm not the only person that feels that way. Whereas for many other people, you know, we speak about things like intrusive thoughts and like anger and rage, which is one of my favorite topics at the moment, like maternal rage and that irritability we mm. feel like when we feel like volcanoes. You know, I can speak candidly about those things because I have confidence in the fact that I'm not alone. And I think talking about, you know, that vulnerability when we're like, oh, I love you, but this is it's just terrifying because... There's so much out of my control. I can't even bear sometimes to think ahead when my three kids are, you know, driving and going out. And, you know, I'm like, oh, I can't. I just can't go there. I can't (laughs) go there. But actually what I can do is when I flip that coin and my focus is on the vulnerability, you know, I, I, I can make that decision that I know that that's always there, but I want to focus on the love. I want to focus on what I gain from that vulnerability, which is the enjoyment of my kids and, you know, obviously not always enjoyable. And, um, you know, seeing as we're starting on the, on this kind of, at this point, I'll, I'll say on this. The I'll say this <laughs> my, I sadly lost my, my little sister when she was nearly seven and she died of cancer. And that's a trauma. And I know that many people listening will have been through some of these things in their lives where, you know, it, 
it almost like forces you to stare at that vulnerability side because that's what you're ultimately most terrified of. You're terrified of loss. You know, so actually for many of us, it's harder to flip that coin and focus on the love. But something that really helped me was speaking to my mum a few months ago. And I said to her, I said, would you rather... Emily, who's my sister, would you rather she'd just not been a part of our family? Would you rather that you hadn't had that third child than had to go through the pain of her loss, like pain of losing her? And my mum said, and this has been so pivotal for me, she said, I would never take a second of that time back. And I think what that did was really help me focus on that love because I you know, we're all vulnerable. It's just a part of being human. It's a part of being alive. But, you know, what we have now is this love. What we have now is this relationship. And yeah, we, we won't regret focusing on that. We won't regret immersing ourselves in that and jumping in with two feet. But we will regret the times that we try and always take ourselves out of it because we can't bear that feeling of fear. So yeah, that just really motivates me to kind of keep focusing on mm-hmm. the love over the vulnerability, even though they're both there. I think that's really, really powerful. And, you know, that must must have impacted your life so much and also impacts will impact your experience of motherhood too, having that as as part of your experience. But I think also of I, I guess what what I feel like you're saying is that that vulnerability as a passenger we've got to bring it along for the ride you can't get rid of it and and grief's a bit like that too and actually that that acceptance of it is sort of the first step to being like to to moving through it but you know not ever getting rid of it because it's not going to go anywhere yeah definitely and it's just you know for many for many people listening that you know this can be a minute by minute choice when we when we realize that we flip that coin over you know, and actually we're focusing on the fear, we're focusing on the vulnerability. And it's just that choice to just bring yourself back to what is true in your life and what is present in your life. And it's a practice and we can, you know, we can get better at it. It does come more readily in time for sure. Yeah, I think I think the practice bit is important because even with the best intentions, you know, you're talking about after your son and I, I would have, agree with having similar things even when you know the right thing to do even when you know you should be flipping that coin it can be a really hard thing to Mm. do yeah so I guess you just have to maybe practice it when it's not quite as as an intense feeling yeah (laughs) and actually even in the small things that we find anxiety cropping up in where the focus is on like the vulnerability and the fear and the possibilities and the things that are outside of our control. It might, you know, for me, for many years I had driving anxiety. I didn't drive for 10 years because my focus was on the vulnerability. It was on the things that I could not control. And the only way for me to get back into that driving seat was to focus on the benefits, like the freedom that I could have in driving, the freedom that I could have in driving my kids to a play date, not pushing them in a double buggy in the rain for like half an hour and actually when we focus on what is there and what is good and it's not in denial it's not in denial of that vulnerability and the risk because actually it's kind of also helpful to know that like we need to be mindful of that as well sometimes just to keep Mm -hmm. us safe um but yeah yeah like it has a purpose that's why you need to take it along for the ride you just need to have to be aware of its limitations 
lot of driving analogies going on here. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love an analogy. <laughs> I love a metaphor. So I am also a mum of three. Um, and my partner and I have separated a couple of years ago. So there is quite a lot of juggling going on in my life. And, you know, with the business, I meet hundreds of different families. But I suppose what I wanted to know was, you know, all these different people that I'm meeting, the mums always still feel like they're very much bottom of the priority list. And I guess I've adjusted my way of thinking that I'm now solely responsible for my own priorities because I am on my own. But, you know, why is it just this sort of ongoing thing that in every family it feels like the mums are just right down at the bottom and we can't flip that and, you know, they're still struggling to sort of make that change in sales? reasons, really. I think many people have maybe grown up in a family where the dynamic's similar. So the the mother is the give, 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 give. Mm. And often when we give, you know, without boundaries or when we give without the respect for the edges of our own resources. And sometimes that's because there is no choice. Like there is no one else to do the giving. And sometimes it's because, you know, our mothers or we get our sense of worth out of doing and being efficient and loving. And that somehow we've learned that to love and to love well is to give ourselves away until we've got nothing left um and actually I think I'm just this last year if anything has really solidified my understanding that if I've got nothing left I'm not a nice person to be around I don't even like being around myself I'm irritable I'm resentful I'm angry I'm exhausted I can't make decisions I'm tearful I can't laugh because I don't think you know we can't we, we need energy to laugh we need resources to to kind of rationalize the anxious thoughts that might come into our minds. And and I think there's just such a cost to this constant giving. And, and I think so many of us have been so entrenched in it that we actually do not know what the alternative is because we're so used to having no time for ourselves. We we don't even know how we could like how we could actually factor factor that in. Um yeah and I've I think it's just vitally important but I think those are a couple of the reasons and for those of us who have grown up in families where the mum is very much the doer and the giver and the giver and the giver um I think our culture has changed so much the the stakes are higher the expectations are higher the pressures that we have upon us and that we place upon ourselves they're all higher there's more fuel for comparison so actually you know the cost of being the giver the giver the giver it's it is higher and it costs it costs us. It costs like the sparkle in our eyes and like the ease in our laugh and the the fact that people can enjoy being around us because we've got something left. I've I'm totally relating to what you say, you know, that those those fun times when you, you when you can be fun, mum, or like be something silly and you know, those are the moments when you like you you feel so well, I always feel so grateful and I'm delighted when I can be that person, but I'm definitely not that person enough because of all of the reasons that you're saying. But that's such a positive. It is something that we should grasp hold of. And as you say, prioritize by prioritizing that you are actually um, 
prioritizing them but then that maybe that gets a bit confused because then you're like well if, if, if it's always for them rather than for me yeah. um but I, th- I find that yeah really powerful I uh have started your book know your worth and I was listening to the audio version and and your lovely voice obviously and so I was do- going around doing things and I just actually had to sit down I felt really emotional listening to it because I think we so I'm, I'm gonna get emotional now because I think we don't place any worth on all of these things that we do. And mm-hmm. I think that's also why we end up at the bottom of the priority, mm-hmm. because it feels like these things, all these massive things that we're juggling, um, you know, Sarah's talking about her own business and, you know, doing childcare and like keeping these little people alive. We, Even though we know how important it is, it's still, we don't consider it worthy in ourselves, I think. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And often one of the questions when I've kind of mentored and and done therapy coaching with women, with mums, is is saying like, what what do you need? Tell me three things that you need. And it normally results in a in a long pause and a tearful response of I don't I don't know. And I think we're so fixated on meeting the needs of those around us that we we've lost the language and the ability to identify what we actually need. So when someone might say like, oh, can I help you? How can I help you? Are you okay? You know, very well-meaning. Our automatic responses are, yeah, I'm fine. I'm good, thanks. Because we actually do, we don't even know what it is. We haven't even got an answer. And that's, you know, it's desperately sad. And what we're saying, like, I, I asked this on social media the other day. I said to people, do one tiny thing, like one tiny thing each week, drink more water, because actually when we're a tiny bit dehydrated, our body is in a state of stress already. Our nervous system is is kind of is in that kind of fight or flighty stress response. So when a curveball comes or a tantrum comes or a rough night comes, it's going to hit harder because we're already we're fighting it depleted, you know, and yeah. and I said to people, you know, what are these one tiny things that you're going to commit to doing every day for a week, you know, and so often it was like, oh, I'm going to eat a piece of fruit that isn't discarded by my child. Like, I'm going <laughs> to eat uh, how many apples do you have around the house with like one flipping bite out. Oh, it's one of the, you know, when the shit bits of yeah. parenthood, those half-eaten apples. Oh, oh my no. God. Oh, and how often do you, do you ever eat food <laughs> off the vlog because you can't bother to go five meters to put it in a bin oh, or like absolutely. two feet. Mm. <laughs> and, it, you know, what are we doing? What If we treated our children, if we didn't give them enough water, if we didn't give them enough food, if we didn't let them go for a wee when they needed one, if we didn't put them to bed when they were tired, what would that be? That would be, that would be labelled as abusive neglect. What would it do to their sense of being loved and being lovable? What would it do to their understanding of being deserving of rest and care and love as we so lavish them in sometimes when we can? You know, it it would damage, it would damage their understanding of who they are and their place in the world and what they deserve. But what are we doing to ourselves? It's abuse. You know, so many of us are consistently and chronically neglecting ourselves. So when that opportunity for rest arises and the washing pile's there and the sofa's there, are we going to actually believe that if we sit down, we're deserving of rest? 
Or are we going to feel guilty like we should be doing something else? Because we're, chron- we're chronically and constantly giving ourselves, drip feeding ourselves this message that we're worthy of scraps of nourishment, that we're worthy of sips of water when we've got headaches, we're so dehydrated, that we're worthy of like hopping around the kitchen because it's more important to make a sandwich than go for a wee. Mm-hmm. Like no wonder it's hard. No wonder we feel guilty when we get a half day with a friend. No, no wonder guilt and burnout is so rife because we're chronically neglecting ourselves in a way that we would never, ever, ever dream of doing to those that we love. I know I've been I've been actually thinking about this recently. We should treat ourselves like babies, or we should treat ourselves like our children. Oh. Can you imagine what if we did? Yeah, but we are an inner child. Like there's, you know, like in the in the morning when the alarm goes off, or one of the kids are the alarm, and um, you know, you wake. Oh my gosh, my my kid came at me this morning, woke me up with a teddy. I had a plaster on and a pair of scissors he found in my drawer. He wanted me to cut it off. I was like, oh my goodness, it's quite the start of the morning. Where did you get those scissors from? Um, you know, and we, there's a part of us aside that sometimes thinks, oh, I just want to stay in bed. I just want to like zone out and watch something. I want to, I want to laze and like doze and eat nice snacks. And then there's that grown up part of us that says, come on, out you get. You've got responsibilities. Get downstairs, get the toaster on. And we, we always have this inner child inside of us. All of us do. It's that little voice that pipes up and says, I, I, I want to hug. I'm tired. I'm lonely. You know, and actually so often I think we just totally and utterly ignore that voice because normally it's that vulnerable voice. It's that voice that needs something and it's really inconvenient to us. And I think, you know, we're mothering, we're mothering, we're mothering, but we utterly forget that we need mothering too. We need mothering too. And, you know, if you're lucky in your life to have people, friends, maybe family members that kind of mother you a little bit. But ultimately, we need to be mothering ourselves. We need to be asking ourselves, are you okay? Do you need anything? It's all right. It's all right that you drop that ball. You're juggling so many. Of course, that's going to happen instead of just punishing that child, banishing that child in us. It's a helpful thing to think about. Like you, I really struggled after the birth of my son, my second child. Um, I'd studied psychology. I'm pretty well read. And I've always sort of known the things I should be doing. And and I guess also... Um, so I sort of knew the person I could be, if you like, but it was like my self-esteem fell off a cliff. Like, and I also struggled with some of the darker anxieties, but at the time I felt like there was this mantra going around my head, which was, I am not enough. It was like my brain was in this rut and I couldn't get out of the negative gear. But I also feel like I've heard this so many times from mums, both around me, like uh, my friends, but also in our audience. So given your experience, your knowledge, and I know we've kind of been dancing around it, but how do you deal with the not being good enough? How do you deal with that awful mantra? And I know it'd be good to replace it into, yes, I am, <laughs> but sometimes you just can't. Yeah. But actually, you know, I, I know all the Pinterest squares and Instagram squares, you know, they say, you're enough, you're enough, you're enough. And then that voice inside of us and that feeling, it doesn't make mm-hmm. it feel better. I, well, like, well, okay, you're telling me I'm enough, but that Still doesn't don't feel, like that, feel yeah. enough. 
me I still don't feel enough do you know what one of the most liberating things for me in in that feeling of not being good enough now this sounds a bit controversial so bear with me sometimes the reason that I don't feel good enough is quite frankly because I'm not good enough I was never meant to be good enough to keep all these balls in the air in the way that I want to. I was never created to fulfill all these roles to the standards that I'm maybe sometimes culturally expected to, or maybe I expect myself to. And actually, you know, sometimes when we're feeling like we're not good enough, is it because we, we're not meant to be good enough for what we're expecting ourselves to be doing, the standards we're expecting ourselves to be doing it to? And I think often the reason we don't feel good enough is because we've removed the margin of like patience and grace for being human um yeah and not being perfect and not being able to do it all well all the time um so yeah and you know the 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 gap between what we expect ourselves to be able to do and the reality of where we are. Now that gap's normally filled with, you know, self-criticism and shame and and then and guilt, the guilt, I mean, so much guilt. So then, of course, we're going to want to kind of punish ourselves. We're, we're far less likely to do those things that and nourishing or those things that are kind or work on that compassionate voice to replace that critical in the critical inability that so many of us have prominent like in our minds when we when we just feel guilty because the bar's set too high and so much we're human <laughs> i think um you know you said it's uh controversial and it it, maybe it is but it also feels like a massive relief yeah. as well like and and I think I think it's really really important but how do we change that narrative because I think it is I think it is a narrative that we pick up culturally and also you know we've talked about comparison but you know we live in this social media world where um and you know, there's a whole other podcast but uh, how do we change the narrative and it's not kind of going full whack to the kind of like we're all rubbish parents it, mm. because we care too so it's about yeah. finding that middle ground and I yeah. I don't know I don't know how to do that god if I did <laughs> the key to the world but do you know do you have any thoughts yeah. on how we could change so it's, it's actions and words it's actions and words and they kind of just feed into you know our self-esteem and I think what what happens is that our self-esteem, our sense of self, our sense of worthiness to be loved and enjoy good things, that's what's driven down when we're essentially bullying ourselves or we're criticising ourselves for not getting it right all the time and dropping the balls. And so actions and words, just those small things, see everything as a little crossroad. You know, you're hungry. That's a crossroad. What are you going to do now? Are you going to keep doing what you always do. You're going to grab a quick snack, give yourself a sugar high and just shut that hunger up. Or are you going to choose to do something different? Because nothing changes if nothing changes. And I think, you know, again, it takes energy to to do things differently. So this is why rest is so important. Um, and I think many of us have just deprioritized rest as this kind of inconvenient frustrating thing like oh man I've got to go to bed I wish I didn't have to because I'm knackered and I would like to just sit on the sofa and make the most of the only space that I've had today so we kind of often rob from our rest 
And, and I think, so it's in the actions, it's in the choices that we're making and it's in choosing to do something different. Even if everything inside of you is saying, no, you shouldn't be doing that. You should, you know, that, that isn't productive or, or you feel the guilt coming. It's like feeling the guilt and doing it anyway, because the guilt is the habit. You know, the, mm-hmm. that guilt that comes, it's the habit. And it's from that, that kind of toxic narrative of, mm-hmm. I don't, mean much unless I'm doing and loving and giving and fundamentally we have the same worth as everyone else like we have the same worth as the children that we are kind of living to support we have that same worth and I don't want my kids to grow up and repeat this you know I don't want my daughter to grow up think that this is what love is I've had my time of being loved now I've been a child now I've got a now I've got to give. Yeah. Now that I've got to give, now I can't rest. And, you know, I have the only way that they can ever really mm-hmm. have that opportunity to do something different. I don't want, you know, someone, um, someone messaged me the other day and they said, I'm reading this book on worth so that my children don't have to. And I think, you know, when we're addressing these things, we're giving ourselves a massive gift for the rest of our lives, but we're also paving our way paving the way for the children so it's the thoughts and the words so how are you how are you speaking to yourself you know we can't control that first response we have when we drop something off on the floor like you idiot oh my gosh you're always doing things like this but we can then come in and choose to say something different we can then come and say oh dear these things happen let's get another mug it's not the end of the world and, you know, and feel our shoulders drop because we're no longer just only criticizing ourselves. So it's, it's in these little opportunities to, to do something different. Yeah. I wonder if I think that's maybe quite people, mums in particular might struggle to make that first change onto kind of trying to put themselves further up the priority list but maybe that point that the person messaged you saying I'm doing it for them (laughs) that maybe we take that first point and say well actually I need to make myself my inner self more resilient and it's for them and then ultimately it will be for yourself but you can kind of kid yourself it's for them for a bit (laughs) whatever your motivation as long as there is one to get you started and then in time you'll start realizing that actually you're worthy of this being for your enjoyment and your benefit too. Yeah. And that is so true, isn't it? I remember that conversation between you and I, Kat, when, you know, last year when I was really struggling to um, invest time in the podcast and everything because I was just like, oh my God, I'm so overwhelmed. And Kat just totally flipped it on me and said, you know, just think about this. So you're doing it for the kids. And suddenly, <laughs> I have all the time in the world. Do yes, it for the children. children. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's changed that. And now I love it, you know. And ordinarily, my camera would be on. But initially, you know, I didn't have my camera on or anything. I was so self-conscious about everything. But it was just in that one day, she just changed my whole attitude to everything. Just through that, you know, just think about the kids and not yourself. And it, it's now totally changed me. So, so yeah. yeah. It's really true. Amazing. <laughs> it's so powerful, I think, when we start doing these things. But, yeah, whatever gets you kind of over that start line, yeah, that's as long as you're over there, that's the important thing. 
Sarah and I are really excited to tell you about our brand new sleep club. Six weeks of expert sleep classes, support and answers to help you and your baby get more sleep. Sleep club is for anyone who has a baby under 12 months who would like access to support and guidance across the big sleep topics, as well as crib notes, age appropriate schedules and a WhatsApp group with me and Sarah. Sleep club is the village that many parents hope for without any shady neighbours. 100% of our sleep clubbers would recommend sleep club to a friend. That's you guys. Check out our website, thesleepmums.co.uk forward slash sleep club for more details. Join the club. You just talked a little bit there about sleep and obviously like we are super passionate about sleep um, and how important it is. Um, And, you know, the main thing that we do is obviously support parents in getting more sleep. But, you know, again, every house I go into, it's the mums who are very guilty of, um, you know, thinking like I'm going to stay up that bit later to get this done rather than going to bed. So, you know, alongside your sort of not getting dehydrated and looking after yourself, how important do you think sleep is for all these mummies out there? Well, I can say personally that sleep is vital for my mental health. I yeah I ideally I would love to go to bed at half nine but um we tend to we tend to be in bed at 10 and that's so important I notice massively a dip in my mental health and my resilience the following day and I think it affects me more than it affects my husband um and for that reason now this might sound funny to many people and I'll tell you my journey a little bit about 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 that with you in a moment but I wear earplugs because I'm such a light sleeper and we have the monitor on for my daughter. Um, she's on a different floor to us. So if someone wakes up, he will go because for me, I recognize sleep. Um, it's so important for my emotional and my mental resources. And if I'm with the kids that next day, the fact that he might have got up to refill a water bottle will mean that I am less likely to you know, to lose it, or I'm more likely to be compassionate instead of irritated. And I say to him, like, thank you, because I'm going to be able to be a better parent today, because you did that for me. And I think, you know, I was talking to a friend the other day, who's just chronically sleep deprived in a way that I was at my middle child was silent reflux. And um, there were days when I'd go to sleep at midnight, and end up at uh, waking up at 1240, 20 to one, 40 minutes later, and that would be the start of my day. And I saw and experienced the effects of sleep deprivation. I had, I'm pretty sure that that was a big contributing factor to my postnatal depression. I could, yeah. I shouldn't have been able to drive a car. At one point I was hallucinating. I couldn't even, um, you know, if you'd have asked me my full name, I probably wouldn't have been able to tell you I struggled, struggled to parent. And I just cried all the time because I had nothing in me. And so for that reason, I, I, I prioritize sleep so much. And I was, so I was speaking to this friend and she said, you know, we take in turns. So my husband will have the reflux of baby one night and then I'll have the baby the other night. And I said, well, you need to let him have the baby more nights because for you, she's, you know, she's feeling postnatally depressed. I was like, that sleep means something different to you than it means to him. So if we have a rough night, my husband at worst might fall asleep open mouthed on the train and be slightly embarrassed. Mm -hmm. You know, 
But for me, if I have a rough night, I know that I might feel a bit more tearful. I might feel a bit more anxious. I might have less for the kids and it's full on. I've got three kids under six, you know, and so therefore it's so important. And I would rather go to bed early than watch another episode of Netflix because there will be time for that in the future. And I think so often we rob from our sleep to get space, but we have to try and prioritize it in little different pockets in the day if that's what we're really craving so that we can get what we need. Totally. I'm actually pregnant with my third and um, um, and I'm, I get really bad insomnia and um, I'm so aware this time how just that tiny bit of not getting the sleep, not getting the solid sleep that we're talking about makes me, as you say, more emotional, um, much more likely to to snap. And I'm just so aware of it. And I just keep like, in I'm, I didn't know it in the same way in previous pregnancies, but I just keep saying to my husband, I'm like, I'm just tired. Like, and I know that. So you, you, I need more sleep. I just need more sleep. Yeah. And I think that prioritizing that as you say is crucial and obviously it's what we are passionate about and why we want to help parents have get more of it whether it is striking that balance with their partner or not which is why I said at the beginning obviously we call ourselves the sleep mums but we've never wanted it the focus to just be on mums you know yeah 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 absolutely and I think another reason that you know many of us struggle to fall asleep when we do get that opportunity is because we're not making enough time for ourselves in the day. And I'm not talking about like hours where we just get to swan around because we know that, you know, that's not logistically possible for many of us. But just even asking ourselves in the day, am I okay? What do I need? Because I feel like often our emotions are, you know, we've not processed things and we're not giving space for things. We're not allowing ourselves to breathe. You know, so many of us are living like we're being chased and then we get to bed and the light is off. And then suddenly all of these emotions, all of these fears and these anxieties that have just been waiting patiently. Emotions wait really annoyingly. They they wait. Um, If we're not making space for these things in the day, then, you know, they want to be acknowledged because our emotions, you know, have value and they have purpose. And so, and yeah, they're heavier in the dark, I think, as well. Yeah. You're heavier when you're lying there alone or beside your partner. Yeah. And, um, and, and you, because there doesn't feel like there's a way of resolving them. So you just, you feel kind of impotent as well. So it's like this awful circumstance, I guess. You know, it'd be better if they came out in the day and you felt like you could deal with them, but you don't give yourself space yeah. to do so. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, you know, as we're talking about doing these small things for ourselves and respecting these emotions that come through us, and I find it really helpful to see an emotion like a wave, you know, it kind of, it peaks. And I think so often when we feel that emotion, because as humans, we like to avoid pain and there are many emotions we just don't want to feel. We don't like feeling sad or don't like feeling grief or frustration or anger or resentment. So we just kind of we quickly build a dam against that emotion. We tell ourselves, oh, I shouldn't be feeling like this. I should be feeling more grateful. I shouldn't. But the ultimate thing is that is a feeling you are feeling. Mm-hmm. And actually it will pass and you're much, you know, it, it has a purpose. So all we need to do, we don't need to fix it. Yeah. We just need to notice it, acknowledge it, ask ourselves if we need anything. And then it will naturally kind of peak and then abate on its own and it, it and then it won't have to wait for the darkness to be like hello I'm actually feeling quite sad 
you know, when really you just want to be asleep. Kind of addressing some of these things, I think, but a, a huge part of what we hope to do with both the Sleep Mums and Sleep Club is to give parents the skills and confidence to navigate sleep, but also really practical tips. We want to empower parents, not tell them off, which was kind of my experience of so many parenting advice books. And I feel like your ethos is pretty similar. So what would your top tips and tools for navigating motherhood be? I think... One of my favorites at the moment, because I think it's been so prevalent this last year, we know about comparison and like we try not to compare ourselves to other people's situations. We know we see just a snapshot, et cetera. But I think so often what we, what we are doing is comparing our emotional response to stuff. So, you know, we might think, Oh, I feel really overwhelmed. Oh my gosh, today's really hard. And then we just, you know, we stop that with, well, so and so has it harder. You know, so actually, oh, I should be, I shouldn't be feeling like this. So and so, you know, down the road, I remember when I was so proud of myself for getting two kids out the house to a playgroup. I met this other lady and she had three. And I said, Oh my goodness, you've got three kids. And she said, Oh my gosh, she said, I've got six more at home. <gasps> and I, you know, suddenly <laughs> in that moment, it was like any, frustration any exhaustion any like oh my gosh is this so hard I just squashed it all and it was like I said to myself if I like I had no right to feel any challenge I had no right to feel any overwhelm because I only had two kids I did not have you know nine actually you know what she's gone on to have two more since then um yeah I'm still I'm stopping at three but um (laughs) and I think you know how often do we do this especially over this last year when we've been in this global pandemic and we thought oh my gosh this is so hard and then you might think well actually you know I found myself thinking I'm not a single parent like that must be even harder or I'm not working in a hospital seeing all that trauma so what right do I have in my safe home with my healthy family to be feeling these feelings. So this emotional comparison has stepped in and what it has stopped us doing is respecting our human response to our circumstances. And I love just reminding myself that someone else's broken leg does not make my stubbed toe hurt any less. Your feelings are your feelings. They're there. Like feelings aren't facts, but the fact that it is your feeling is a fact. So just acknowledge it, just respect it and let it pass. Try not to beat it over the head with a gratitude stick. I love gratitude, an amazing tool. But I think often, you know, it's like, oh, I feel overwhelmed, but I'm so grateful. Mm-hmm. I'm so grateful to have the kids. And I'm, and actually, how about using and instead? Like, I feel overwhelmed and grateful. They're both totally. equal. Is amazing. I think we just we don't want to seem like dicks in front of our friends as well. Like you know, when you do voice those things, because you're like you don't ever want them to go away and go, oh, well, that one. You know, she's so lucky and she's moaning about her stubbed toe. You know, and and so I think that's a big part of it as well. Like we're 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 worrying about other people's opinions as well, but we also do it to ourselves yeah. even when we're not voicing them. That's it. Like if we can validate our own emotions, then we're less likely to need that validation from other people and they can't always give it you know our friends don't always say the right things or sometimes they might just say look you know just be grateful and actually yeah but also it is hard and I need that acknowledged as well definitely um so I think acknowledging your feelings and allowing them to be there and then letting them pass and also as we spoke about at the start allowing 
vulnerability to come along with you because you've just got to accept that it's there it's not if you as a parent it's there it's not going anywhere you know you're not suddenly going to wake up one day and not care and if you did we'd probably all be way more (laughs) worried about what that meant yeah I guess as mums, we are usually unbelievably busy, like we've spoken about. We're running around doing all the things, carrying all the things as well as quite often a baby. And the weight of all of that can be so huge. However, I think there is also some comfort in that busyness. It can allow us to say that I don't matter because these things matter more. And actually by doing these things, I'm creating harmony in my life. Like Sarah and I have talked about this a lot with sleep. Sometimes we continue to do the hard thing because simply changing it can feel more exhausting. Plus, probably for too long, parents have kind of worn eye bags with pride. But honestly, and you've said it before as well, we can only run so hard for so long before crashing. Self-care is an icky saying and it's got confused with buying products and spa days and whilst these things might have their place, I really believe that strengthening ourselves on the inside is a better, more lasting route to to real self-care. Anna's latest book, Know Your Worth, is extraordinary and it really does cover all of this and I can I can't tell you the number of people I've already recommended reading it since I got it and I'm going to recommend it to you and I'm not just saying this because she's here just listening but it's what I've said to my pals it's honestly it's one of the best books for me that I've bought in terms of dealing with all of these things it just really resonated with me and you can also find Anna doing a million and one things because she embraces the busy too from Instagram to her own podcast the therapy edit and of course her online and in-person courses that was so good that was so insightful and so interesting like I could just listen to you chat for hours and hours so um (laughs) you know thank you we really appreciate it thank you so much for having me you guys are amazing m is at the heart of the alphabet it's also the heart of what we do and this isn't a platitude we make the sleep mums for you because you're brilliant look after yourselves and sleep soon Bye. Bye. bye bye